there, listener, and guess what? It's Book Review Day! It's Book That's right, it's everybody's other favorite day, Book Review Day. Today, we are going to be covering, ah, now that's what I call horror, an anthology of 90s horror. As a forward by Max Booth III and is edited by Chelsea Pumpkins. This is a 2023 release. It has 14 short horror stories in it for your pleasure. And for today's review, I will be covering six of those 14 stories to kind of give you a little taste, a little appetizer of what you can expect in this book. They're all horror stories. They're all very different. All uh, a whole array of different authors so there's something in there for everyone however the theme of this book is the 90s now i looked at some of the reviews at goodreads and some people said it was a little much a little much a little too much 90s nostalgia in it well guess what mother it's a 90s themed book okay it's 90s themes, and I thought it was beautiful. If you were a kid or, you know, spent the fun years of your youth in the 90s, you're going to love all the nostalgia in it, all the call-outs, all the references, everything from blockbusters to toys to commercials, TV shows, cartoons, anything you can think of. It's going to zap you, time warp you right back into the 90s, into those days when you had Cheeto fingers and you were playing Mortal Kombat or whatever it was, chilling with your homies. It's going to put you there. These references are going to be heavy in each story. I'm assuming the editor told them, hey, that's what this is about. Let's have some fun with it and throw in a bunch of 90s flair. And that's exactly what they did. So I enjoyed that part of the book. Uh, if you're going to get a book that says a 90s anthology of horror and you don't like the 90s, maybe, well, buy this book anyway and then just be upset about it. So, you know, help out indie horror, buy the book anyway, and then bitch about it online. I don't know what you, I don't, I don't know what you want, but I enjoyed the book. I picked these stories at random, so there's you know nothing going on with these stories in particular. They're no better or worse than the other ones in there. It's just the ones that I picked. Of course, I didn't want to cover the whole book because I want you to experience some of it for yourself. But yeah, the 90s references are off of the chain. There's some stories where you're going to get one literally in every paragraph. And yeah, it was a cool part. Cool, cool shtick. Cool shtick in the book. I liked it. Anyway, let's get into the review. Alright, so the first story I want to cover is Madame Crystal. This is by S.E. Denton. I really like this story. It kind of had an eagle eye flair. Like if you remember the movie with Shia LaBeouf, Eagle Eye, kind of had that sort of idea in it. Um, mainly, the, the plot reminded me a lot of Eagle Eye. This guy starts getting these horoscope, fortune teller, chat room things. Do you remember chat rooms? you remember AOL? Of course you fucking do. It's got this in it. It's all about it. And he starts getting all these messages and they trick him into doing something and being a part of something that ends up being his demise, so to say. So I, I won't, I, I didn't put too many more notes in there, but that's kind of the gist of it. So imagine this fortune teller that's telling you all these things. It's pushing you towards a certain event or enticing you to do something a certain way, and it ends up not being this positive messaging thing that you thought it was, okay? And uh, yeah, it's got a cool ending. It's got a cool shock kind of flip you on your head ending that I really enjoyed. And yeah, good story. I don't have a lot of notes on that because I don't think I wanted to give much of it away. Hard to talk about it without giving the story away. The second story we have, The Harvest Queen by Bridget D. Brave. This is going to be a Wicker Man style story, uh, sort of that 
folk horror kind of story. It centers around a small town, small town events, that kind of stuff. It reminds me of maybe a little bit of Jug Face, just that kind of flair, which always goes back to the Shelley Jackson it's story. The lottery. Shirley Jackson, you and dick. Of course, anything that mirrors that is going to fall back to something like that story where one dies for the you know, so that the rest can live, that kind of stuff, and then that just different interpretations of that. Not necessarily that this is that story. There's a lot more to it than that. I really love the way it was set up. And so, you know, like, what are you comfortable with? What would you be willing to give up this perfect serenity, this heaven, this, you know, absence of all evil and negativity? Would you sacrifice, you know, one child for something like that? So, yeah, that is echoed in this story. Again, it continues with the 90s nostalgia references that are in there. And I guess the point I want to make is that even though these stories reference the 90s, they're not just replays of old 90s, you know, slasher gimmicks or anything like that. These are all super solid stories. Lots of dread and and violence and anything that you want in there. I mean, you, you know, you can find it in these stories. So, yeah, they're they're bangers in this book. So don't be fooled that it's just going to be some kind of cheesy 90s sitcom, you know, type horror that is real generic. There's there's solid shit in this book, you know, and these stories I'm going over are perfect examples of those even though I'm not really fleshing them out because I don't want to give the whole book away. Anyway, funny enough, I think Another funny thing about this is like anytime I think of the lottery, I think about the movie Swordfish. So do you guys remember John Travolta's little monologue at the end about Swordfish or, or in, in the movie Swordfish where he's asking like, you know, would you sacrifice one child to save a nation or something like that? And of course, the dude that plays Wolverine, that guy's like, oh, I wouldn't fucking do it. And John Travolta's like, well, you know, that's why you'll never understand whatever. And he's got that ridiculous fucking wig on, you know, and he ends up blowing up a fake body in the, I don't know. Okay. Or hold on. I'm getting, I'm getting sidetracked. But also, if we want to take this back even further. Further, a lot of the, you know, uh, Aztec sacrifices and things like that are sort of the same concept. I mean, I think people would actually give themselves over to these sacrifices for the rest of the tribe, you know, whether they thought it was going to bring in a good crop, you know, a good rain season, whatever it might be. These are things that it is not beyond the realm of belief that this, this shit has happened. We as humans have felt that this was the way to do stuff. So when I read stories like this, especially The Harvest Queen in this book, uh, it really kind of, you know, puts a more modern face on that. And I think that's cool. But instead of the backdrop of all these other things, this is going to center around a prom queen style, you know, dance thing. So I won't say much more than that. But yeah, that's going to be the background of this. But thinking those same things. So yeah, awesome job on that story. We're going to move on to the next one. It is Who in the World is the Hat Man by Chelsea Pumpkins. Now, Chelsea Pumpkins is the editor of this particular anthology and her story in here does not disappoint her writing style i felt was very different from the other two stories that i've already mentioned i thought there was a lot of very poetic descriptors in her writing it uses second person which reminded me of the choose your own adventure goosebumps books so it's like it's like writing more than the story and it reminded me of a horror movie uh, maybe it was like Insidious or The Conjuring where a young girl's, you know, a victim of this violent assault and this trauma has turned into a vision of, you know, something else. Whether it was a ghost or a demon, you know, it manifested itself in a very different type of way. So it was uh, it was cool. It was a different interpretation of the hat man. I enjoyed it. It was very cool. But although like I did find it to be a, a scary story, but also uh, elements of realism in it as in 
how the brain deals with trauma and how different people deal with trauma, especially if you've ever been exposed to any of that in your own personal life. I think this story will, you know, echo some of those uh, things that maybe you've seen or experienced in your own life. The third, well, let's see. The fourth story that I read was Between the Barbie and the Deep Blue Ranger. This is by Christopher O'Halloran. And this movie is the first example that I've read of something that was just a little bit bizarre, a little bit off the wall. So, obviously from the title, it has a Barbie and a, and a Blue Ranger in it, and they are dolls in this story. And they're kind of like, if you the, the way I pictured it as I read it, is they're the big tall dolls. You remember, you know, like, if you ever had friends that were parents, had enough money to get the big dolls that were like three feet tall that kind of stuff so it's those and think about the devil and the angel on your shoulder kind of thing with barbie being the the lesser of the two her being the evil one and they're talking to this kid and you know it's a babysitter situation which is a very 90s you know kind of trope or whatever we got the babysitter and she's taking care of her little brother and he's in her room where he's not supposed to be fucking around with things that aren't his and of course barbie's pushing him to do it and he ends up getting himself into a situation and almost fucking dying, right, in this kid. So that's why I say these stories, they deal with all kinds of different stuff. You know, they they don't pull any punches in these stories. I mean, you're going to have children getting hurt and dying. You're going to have adults getting hurt and dying. You're going to have ghosts, people being torn apart, murder, suicides, all kind. It's all in there. It's all in there. And uh, I did enjoy the the shock factor of this story because it starts out sort of... You know, it's got a fucking Power Ranger in it, you know, so you think it's going to kind of be that tongue-in-cheek, kind of joking around, just we're having a good time, like, what's going to happen? And then, in the middle of it, it starts to get a little sinister, and by the end, it turns black as fuck. So, I really enjoyed that part of this story. Uh, I did write a note in here, there's a great part uh, in this particular one where one of the characters is choking on gum, and it essentially, it almost kills the dude. And the line in there, he says, he's looking up at the ceiling at the glowing stars. You remember the ones that you could stick on the ceiling? Of course you do, because you're a fucking 90s kid, too. And he's looking up and he says, they glow in the dark. Will they glow when things go dark for me? And it was just such a savage line, especially for this. And, you know, it's a young kid saying it and stuff. I mean, oh, man, just good. Good work. Good work, Christopher. The next story that we're going to go over is Return to Grace Springs blockbuster blues by pl mcmillan this story had multiple layers to it that's what i liked about it it starts out in a blockbuster but it's also about relationships and of course as i've mentioned in the past about pl mcmillan's stories oftentimes she puts relationships in them in a way that is very seamless but adds to you know it just kind of adds some depth to the story it just adds another level of i don't know just kind of tying you in emotionally to the story but it's in a blockbuster and I believe it's tied to the story, The Grunge, maybe. I think she'd said that in another uh, one of her Plim Talks YouTube where she's talking about this. Or maybe one of the authors, I thought I'd heard that. So I didn't read the other story. Like I said, I was just kind of flipping through and picking a couple of these out. I picked this one. and But this one by itself, without reading the other one, was fine. I mean, I understood everything in the story. I don't feel like you have to read the other one to understand this one. These kids start out in a blockbuster and a couple of things happen. They end up finding some tapes. They got some pretty weird shit on them. And throughout the night, they end up finding a secret wall behind the romance tapes. Where does this wall go? Well, it goes to a secret room, of course. And where does this secret room go? To another secret room. And where does that secret room go? I bet you it goes to another fucking secret room. You're damn right it does. So it goes, ends up in this hallway, and they just keep getting deeper and deeper. And 
It reminds me a lot of that film that just came out. It's called Barbarian or something like that. It's got the titty milk monster lady in it, you know, where this dude's got the uh, tunnel underneath the house. And I remember in that film, if you've seen it, it, it's shocking when they come to that because it's all been upstairs, at the top, in the daylight, you know, all this bright stuff. And then all of a sudden you're underground, very deep, in a cave, something that was dug out. And that's kind of how this works. Again, that's just the different layers of this story as we go deeper and deeper not only into the ground, literally, but also into the mystery that is not only this blockbuster, but this town. We learned that there was a cult that used to hold their meetings in that building, and then there was a huge fire that I think might have killed everyone or something like that. So that's what these kids are dealing with as they go down, because they know, of course, about the history of this and the lore, and that's what's kind of driving them to go deeper and deeper. And one of their friends is, if you remember back then, if you were a kid back then, I'm sure, undoubtedly, you or one of your friends had one of the little handheld cameras. I mean, it was just what you did for fun. Just think how everyone now records everything on their phone. Well, back in the 90s, you had this big, gigantic thing that sat on your shoulder that you would put a full-size VHS tape in, or you had the little tiny tapes with the little handheld camera. So they got a friend that's doing that, and he's kind of recording everything and, you know, kind of semi-making a movie, you know, documentary kind of thing out of it. I think anyone that did any of that shit can relate. So it was super cool part of the story. Nice element, I thought. To give it that 90s flair. So as they get deeper and deeper into this mystery, they start finding out a little bit more about the cult. Maybe they have some run-ins with them. Maybe they find a secret room that's got this big, humongous, deep, black, dark, puddle, water thing in it. And what the fuck is living in there? Or hiding in there? Or what even is it? Is it water? Where does it go? If you want to find out, get the book and read it because it's pretty fucking cool. I don't want to give it away. I really love the ending of this. I love all the, I love where this story went and where it ended up. I thought it was very cool, very plim. You know it's going to have some cult element or maybe a monster or something like that. It's all going to tie together. It has the relationship stuff, get you in your feels here and there right before it rips your heart out. And yeah, it's just awesome. It's a plim story. So uh, I will say it did have a really cool tense. It got very tense and, um, with a sort of chase, I'll, I'll, I'll call it a chasing, not really, but sort of, but the last couple of pages was pretty intense, you know, you're going to have like your nose like in the book, so yeah, all right, the next story, and the last one for this one was Alive and Living, a Pilot by Carson Winter. now with this story, it is written like a script to a TV show, or a play, if you've ever seen like a playbook where it has each person's lines, so it has like set notes, and each person's line, and who's saying it, and it's just a very cool format, just something different, you know, to kind of break up the, the other stories. It, it's kind of a way for it to stand out um, amongst the other stories that are in there. It even has pauses in there for laughter, you know, like the applause sign and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's just cool. It's just a little something different. As far as it being a Carson Winter story, is it weird fiction as what I've come to know from this particular author, just from reading all of his other stuff? Uh, I would say that this is a little bit of a departure from what he regularly writes. It, it, of course, has that flair because it's written in that different kind of format and style. But I do think that this is more of a genre fiction type story, which is not usually what I've seen from all of his other stuff. So, yeah, I thought that was cool to just see something different from him. But this story is going to center around two young boys, their friends, and they're wanting to go to a party and, oh no, their parents don't want them to go. Why? Because who the fuck knows? There's going to be all kinds of drugs and alcohol and 
you know, premarital sex and all this other stuff that's going to go on. So the parents don't want them to go. So they're trying to figure out the best way to get to this party. Are they going to sneak out? Maybe. Are they going to lie to their parents and say they're going somewhere else? Maybe. Are they going to use a book with all kinds of ancient spells from beyond before the world began to figure it out? Maybe. You'll just have to buy the book to find out. So, that is my quick, super snappy review of just a couple of stories that are in there if you are familiar with any of these authors. And before I forget, P.L. McMillan also did a lot of the artwork inside the book as well. So definitely check that out. You are not going to be disappointed by this book, especially if you enjoy the nostalgia from, you know, the 90s. If you were a 90s kid, you're going to love this book. I thought the stories in here were great. I thought they were different. They, you know, as far as the the writer's voice in each one, the tone, the stories themselves, the content, all that stuff, it is extremely entertaining. It's something that you can get and just, you know, read here and there, that kind of thing. A little coffee table book, a little bathroom. Is there, it was a bathroom book? Do people read in the bathroom? I'm sure somebody does. I'm sure somebody spends an odd amount of time in there. So you can pick this up, blast through one of these stories while you're blasting through the toilet. And uh, yeah, it's I enjoyed it. So check it out. The book, again, is called Ah, oh, That's What I Call Horror, an anthology of 90s horror, edited by Chelsea Pumpkins, 14 short stories of horror. I enjoyed it. I think you'll enjoy it too. So go, you can go to Amazon or whatever book sale site you use to purchase books and purchase this book. It is compiled by a indie editor and indie authors throughout, so you can support indie horror and these writers, help get their names out there, see what they're all about, and give these new voices of horror a chance to really get out there. So I hope you've enjoyed this short, sweet book review episode. I know I have. I am Just James. You can find me on Instagram. You can email me at justjameshorrorpodcast at gmail.com if you have a book, story, movie, any type of suggestion, anything that's horror that you want me to take a look at and review on here, I would love to do so. So go ahead and shoot me that email, slide into those DMs on Instagram, and holla at me. I'm Just James. This is a Just James Horror Review. Take care.